If you're an adult amateur horse lover who wonders what it takes to make magic with horses, you're in the right place. I'm Paige Lockton, and this is The Magic of Horsecraft. Join me for conversations with wizards in the world of horsecraft about the ingredients needed to build connection with horses and courage in life. Turns out these things are connected. How do I know? <laughs> like most things, I learned the hard way. I lost the magic I once had with horses. In regaining it, I discovered that the elements of connection are learnable. Whether you ride your horses forwards, backwards, or sideways, stick around for stories that show us how we are the same and that anything is possible. Take a chance. Well, hello there, and thank you for listening. I'm so glad that there are actually people out there that keep tuning in and coming back. It uh, fills my boots, and it's why I do this. So thank you so much. Today's episode is all about rolfing. And um, I had a really life-changing experience with it when um, I was in North Carolina in Southern Pines with a little mare called Speed Axle. And I worked with Greg Wilder, um, a pretty famous, although you won't say see internet famous because he's... he's um, totally anal- analog, is that what you would say? He's, he um, hasn't stepped into the online world. Um, and he's retired, but his work on my horse and on myself helped me to overcome trauma, um, physically and emotionally. Um, as a rider, I changed my stirrup length to two holes. <laughs> which was something on little speed axle cause she was, she was tiny <laughs> and um, it allowed me to sit straight and move pain-free in a way that I hadn't since I was 12 years old. At 13, I had the onset of scoliosis and I've dealt with sitting crookedly on top of a horse um, and trying to have some sort of dance or conversation about how I can carry myself better and how they can carry me with that crookedness and, um, and pain. Um, so after Greg's series of 10 treatments in Rolfing, there was no more pain. I could travel 16 hours in a truck and trailer, get out the other side and not be in the usual agony that I was in at uh, every other major 3D event I'd ever been to. And, um, it was phenomenal right until I came home and the first horse that was sent to me for training with an undisclosed bucking problem, which I think is really shitty. If anybody else out there really wants to get their horse trained, don't undisclose a bucking issue. Um, I wouldn't have sat on it. I wasn't fixing buckers and I would have done things differently. (laughs) Anyway, it undid all that good work. And, um, I'm trying to get some up here in the North. I'm from North Bay, Ontario. And um, we need this kind of help up here to help other people make magic with their lives and with their horses, which is, of course, what I'm all about. Um, So I hope that from this interview with two young up-and-comers who um, are taking the reins from Greg Wilder's generation and galloping in a beautiful direction with them, Um, helping horses and humans 
connect and make magic and overcome boundaries that their bodies have. Um, and I always keep coming back to these, these traumas in your body can be physical or emotional and manifest physically. Um, trauma is stored in the body. It's stored in the hips. And you need a supple set of hips to navigate a horse's movement, particularly if you're some fancy pants horse lover that really likes high steppers or dressage horses or something. Um, and you, if you're struggling to allow the expression of their movement when they're forward and free to roll up through your body without impeding them, then maybe you could use a rolfer. <laughs> they might be able to help your horse. I know they can help your horse. And they might be able to help you. And yeah, I know they can help you. Um, be very present and aware. Um, be straight and balanced and to carry yourself in a way that allows the free expression of your horse's movement underneath itself and its best self-carriage possible. Um, I have experience in that it, it can help unlock the magic in a number of ways. Um, so I, I always run across this discussion of rolfing. What the heck is rolfing? Oh, isn't that? Yeah. And so I hope that this interview with these two young people, um, Saxon Alexandra, who identifies as they there, and Kimberly Ann, who identifies as she, her, and, and with myself, I hope this discussion can enlighten you on some of the possibilities. Um, we tell some stories and it's a new format where I'm doing the interviews with a live Zoom audience. They get to stay and hear a uh, question and answer period and ask questions at the end, which won't be included in this podcast, but you can access if you attend one of the Zooms um, or if you're one of my subscribers on my site where I publish my podcast and my blog on the magic of horsecraft at substack.com. Um, so let me know your thoughts. This is an experiment. My life is an experiment and I do it out loud and I try and some things stick and some don't. So this is a new format. Let me know how it feels as a listener and who else you would like to hear from. Um, you should, uh, expect to have a clearer understanding of how a rolfer could help you and um, whether or not you might be ready for it at the end of this episode. And in the next one, I would like to explore with a friend, a master saddler, Christian Lowe, um, and in his experience through the evolution of horsecraft and the saddlery and our approaches, um, and talk about how um, he might be able to help or saddles or props can help an aging adult amateur rider who still wants to enjoy riding a horse and maybe could use some more support to do so. Um, so we'll answer all kinds of questions at the intersection of making magic with horses with Christian. So I'll, uh, I'll quit blabbing now and let you listen to what we recorded just last week with Saxon Alexandra and Kayla Ann, and thanks so much. <laughs> having some hey, Paige, how are you? <laughs> Just a few technical issues, but my um 
my microphone isn't working, but I think the laptop one will have to do. You sound wonderful to me. You sound fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> as always, as always. Oh, I, I think Kay- Kayla Ann will be with us just momentarily. I just shot her a text that we've got everything all open and and set up. There was a little con- we weren't sure about which Zoom link to use and if it you know it is technology. Yeah, those last minute things always get me like, oh my god, maybe I won't be able to do this. Like this I know, right? Time, I know. I'm like, <laughs> why do I even try? It worked. Oh my god. Yeah, we can do it. We can do hard things. We can be here. We can make these conversations happen. We are so capable, even if it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love uh well, I love and I hate catching up with technology. I love the possibilities that we have now, although the learning curve for me has been looking a little bit like that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that too. I feel like that too. <laughs> I didn't even have a computer for a long time until one of my sponsors bought me one and I I had to learn how to type and like what an email thing like long after everybody else did and then I didn't I didn't have a phone for a really long time and it's a super late adopter to all this technology that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah absolutely absolutely I do my best to like keep out of it as the bare minimum. (laughs) So your is your life in the field most of your day what sort of percent of your life uh yeah uh it's it's pretty in the field i've been doing so i'm on the private dissection team at the equisoma osteology center here in aiken so for those of you who don't know me i am based in westford vermont along with kayla ann who will be on the call momentarily i personally come down to aiken i do the horses so i come and i follow the show seasons so I'm very involved with the osteology center here. So I've been part of the dissection team. I've been helping. We've got 11 horses coming out of the ground. So <laughs> um, it's a lot of bones to clean. I mean, they're not small animals. So, you know, um, I do quite a bit of that. I do. I've been doing some writing, some uh, kind of I've been trying to find this intersection of writing about this work. I feel like there's such I come from science, of course, uh, so I'm really interested in the data collection, but I'm also interested in just documenting the journeys of these horses. So I've been doing a lot of writing and trying to figure out, like, how do I tell these stories in a way that is not just data points, but is honoring the the, the fascial being, the, the, like, the experience of the animal. That's been really mm-hmm. challenging. But yeah, it's it's kind of been a mixed bag this winter. It's a it's a very different horse crowd down here than it is up north. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting back and forth to your life from your Vermont base to the south. Yeah, uh, keeps it's things very interesting, different. eh? It does. It does. Well, I grew up down here. I grew up in East Tennessee, so it's familiar in some ways. But Vermont feels more like home in some ways. It's I've just been very transient. It's been a life experience for sure. How about you, Paige? You've been, you have horses, you've got borders now, right? You must be doing a lot. You have snow. You guys have snow right now? So we have snow and uh, we don't have an indoor arena um, or a sand ring. So we are really challenged through our season changes for sure. We're on clay. Um, There is an area of sand and there's a sand ring we can restore. Um, which will allow our shoulder seasons to look better than they did in the fall. But we have to get really inventive about what we do. And thankfully, it's at a point in my life 
and also in my clients' lives, the few that I have, it's a small little group, um, to learn different ways with horses. And so we're starting over the relationships from the ground. And it doesn't matter whether it's winter or not. <laughs> you can do all of these yeah. things in the snow and yeah. you can get enough clothes. Doesn't matter your budget. It doesn't, I've tested it because I've, <laughs> I've had to. And yeah. so we go out in the snow and we do um, things in, I just learned how to build a reverse round pen. I never thought I would say that or use one. Um, Whoa. <laughs> it's good for you. Yeah. We're, I went out and was like, hey, horse, would you like to? I felt so vulnerable. I was like, I really hope you want to train with me today. I put the signals out that signal that we're in business. I have some things that they're always there. So they know when it's on offer and when it's not. And I was yeah. kind of like all vulnerable waiting to get a buy-in or just grab her by the mane and pull her out. It's <laughs> like, oh, I just want to grab her by the mane. And I went out and I was like, oh, she's following me. And um, I engaged her for some of the exercises and not on others. She really has no interest in touching her nose to the plastic bottle, the cheap sort of. Oh, it's even lower than the Walmart of (laughs) (laughs) targets for a horse to touch. I just uh, taped a crinkly bottle around the end of something and she, I have to really engage her for her to do the things that I think are fun. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. It's been super. And the mini is now, um, I was kind of accelerating her program a little bit beyond our learning curves because I looked at her and I was like, honey, you need to get out jogging. And so do I. <laughs> and I don't know a lot about this clicker training stuff and, and you're three and a half. But if this doesn't happen, like we were, she was obese and I needed the fitness. So we started running. And then when she learned to target, she started, um, I could get her unstuck when she was like, no, I don't want to. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, I would normally drive you forward with the whip and tell you you're not allowed to say that to me, but you've just expressed your dislike for exercise as it starts to get, you know, a little huffy puffy for both of us. So, want to touch the stick? Yeah. yeah. And then away we go, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> so, um, we got a few. What a different conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so much fun I'm so lucky to have time in my day to go out in my field and have these conversations with horses that are quite clearly telling me that um the way I used to engage with them given their drivers they are completely uninterested in and I have totally differently if I'm going to do it without a halter on them That's the paradigm shift. <laughs> oh, yeah. Humble. Sandwich. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I'm just, um, I feel really lucky. I think that I ended up in this time and space where while I'm here and I have my parents who handed down generations of horsecraft to me are in their 80s and 
the whole idea is to kind of keep the farm quiet and not run a traditional business out of it and uh, and to learn and evolve and document the evolution of horsecraft. And I was writing about it. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't do some of the things that I'm reading about other people doing. So I'm learning how to do them. Starts off, you, you're not really good at them at first. <laughs> But that you learn. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that was a totally other topic while we're kind of waiting for everyone to sign on. Um, I got yeah. them here. But it all kind of uh, fits in. And yeah, we just started chatting and filling time. We just been chatting, yeah. Yeah, here's fine. Let everybody join and yeah. Yeah. So good to see you, Kayleigh Thank you. You too. Yeah. You too. Glad everybody's here. And there's way more people here this time. Hello, all. I know. Wow. I'm so excited. <laughs> Big deal. I know. Uh, me too. Me too. Um, we can take a minute. Um, and if uh, you'd like to go around and say hello, if anybody wants to say hi and where they're coming from, you can unmute yourself and give us a shout out. And we'll take a couple of minutes to settle in. Go ahead, Jackson. Any volunteers? Faces, I know. Any volunteers? <laughs> well, I'll I can go first if no one's going to pop up. I'm usually like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kayla Ann. I'm from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm a structural integrator, certified rolfer, certified rolf movement practitioner. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being here tonight, Kayla Ann. So I, yeah, I guess I probably should just dive in and introduce, and then I would have uh, would have done that for you. That's amazing. Wow, wow. Kayla no, Ann, we, we got voices. We got we can speak. <laughs> one of our Rolfers tonight. Um, she does the human equation, and Saxon Alexandra um, is our other Rolfer, and they do the horse equation, and together they work magic. Can you? Can I let you take it away, Saxon, and say a few words? Yeah, so I'm Saxon Alexandra. I'm non-binary, so I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am, I'm based in Westford, Vermont. I am coming to you live from Aiken, South Carolina. I just came from a, a Garrett Hirschman clinic, which was mind-blowing if anybody's familiar with his work. So beautiful. Um, so I've got, yes, lots going on. I'm a little bit transient this year. I am a certified equine fascial integration therapy practitioner. So when we talk about structural integration, we're talking about this process of reorganizing whole bodies, and there's several methods by which we can do this. So Kayla Ann's method of rolfing, the 10 series, is one method that we have that's specific for people. My method has been designed specifically for the horses with their needs, their nervous system, their you know, their instincts as prey animals in mind so that we can cater to them and to their bodies. So Kayla Ann and I, uh, we met a couple of years ago and our interest in horses was very immediately apparent and we just kind of started, just started kind of going for it. So that's how we met and we're so happy that Paige has us here to speak tonight. Excellent. Thanks so much, Saxon. And uh, my name is Paige. I identify as she, her. And I inherited a piece of land in Nipissing First Nations, and I am so grateful to be here. It's recognized under the Robinson-Huron Treaty of 1850. And um, I got to know these beautiful humans on a crazy road trip I did, reevaluating 
my life with horses and what I wanted it to look like. And one of the most significant, uh, a bunch of significant lines in my life intersection, intersected right with Saxon <laughs> um, in Aiken. And um, I was there visiting what I consider to be the godparents of eventing in Canada, uh, Ian and Daphne. And uh, oh, oh, beautiful humans, such beautiful humans. It was such a pleasure to be able to work for them even for just a season. Wow. Wow. And they heard about me. I was like, well, I'm on this quest to find out what's at the heart of the magic, you know, because we look at those who can and those who can't. And what is it that stands in between those of us that are throwing our hearts in the bank accounts and everything into it? We're not making magic. Like, what is it? And I want to know because I kind of lost it. (laughs) And so he put me together with people that were really beautiful um, and fit perfectly. Like they just, he and Daphne knew who to put me together with. And um, you were one of them. And we started having conversations about um, how it helped people. And people seem to be like, Rolfing, that's that really painful deep tissue one, isn't it? Isn't that like one of the things you hear really often? All the time. One of the most common misconceptions. Yeah, one of the most common. <laughs> um, it is... Big one. Something I had an experience with. Um, and as... So I am um, in my 50s now, but in my 30s, my back was shot and my body had had a series of injuries. I'm six foot one. I've got scoliosis. I had the onset of it at 13. So... I dealt with all kinds of issues of trying to make my body do what it was supposed to do and not have the horses suffer underneath me. Um, and I saw someone for a series of 10 and I felt like I was 12 again. It was like before the onset of the scoliosis. And he taught me to work on my horse and I had my hands on my horse's body every day. And I taught my groom how to put her hands on that horse's body and to feel what to feel for and what they could do to undo stuff. And honest to God, it it made such a difference in this horse's life that she she just she would do anything for me and um, brought me back to a position where we were back in the limelight again. But her little body honestly had suffered so much trauma. I really had no business asking for as much as she gave, but everything she was able to give and that I was able to do with her was through Rolfing or we, we wouldn't have broken across the layers of trauma and mistrust in both of our bodies. And I wouldn't have had the subtlety to have the self-control and balance to ride her that I needed because she was highly traumatized from a couple of accidents she'd had. Um, So she had flipped over in the gates as a young horse and then also flipped over, um, a triangle fence, a corner in sort of an old style build, the way they used to build them, it happened more frequently. And when they catch their, all that momentum against a solid obstacle, it tears things. So right from breastbone through the chest, up over the shoulder. And Greg Wilder, (laughs) um, an amazing body, more than a body worker, um, worked on her and on me and she went around advanced level courses with a body that had been really used up at the track and through her life. So 
I just want to kind of put it out there as my, that's my experience with it. And then um, some of the things that we got to talking about were, I think predominantly our audience is going to be, well, aging and maybe our bodies aren't quite what they used to be, but we still want to ride horses. <laughs> and um, I think there are a number of ways you can help us unravel um, the layers and layers of trauma in our body. And I wanted to bring to awareness that that could be, I think, my understanding is that it doesn't matter whether that trauma is an emotional trauma that we carry in a pattern of movement in our body or a I broke my leg trauma and now I walk differently trauma. But that what you guys do together helps unpack all of that so horses and humans can move together like this and not like <laughs> that uncomfortable jarring and, and what might be going on for some of you. So um, I wonder if I can, I got such a good description from Kayla Ann last time about rolfing and like, well, what is it that you do? And you have a bunch of different ways of describing rolfing in the body and, and how it helps. If I can hand the floor over now. and Sure. Um, I look at rolfing as a way of organizing something that's already self-organizing and it's a matter of understanding tonic and phasic muscles. Our tonic system is something that we can't control but we can make ourselves present with it and when we make ourselves present with our tonic system, our fascial system, then we get to learn how to use gravity orientation as the therapeutic tool. And how I teach people how to do that is by slowing down, feeling weight, and then feeling space. Our fascial system is really good at noticing what's around us. You can tell like how close is the wall in front of you? How close is your car? How close is the nearest friend that you have? Maybe it's across the country. Maybe it's right next to you, two doors down if you're lucky. So our fascial system is a way of orienting our body. And then when we feel weight, it's from injuries or traumas. It's like, wow, this side feels really heavy. So how do we feel our weight first before we go into space? Or how do we pre-move before? And the way I look at that is by watching people walk. Just like Saxon watches horses walk, we go, hey, does that look congruent to the other side? Is the right side and left side doing the same thing? Yes, we know that we're not symmetrical, but how do we get things at least congruent and working in the same way that they probably were before? If I ripped a rug and sewed it back together, it's not going to be the same, but it's going to be a lot better than a ripped rug. And that's what our fascial system is really good at doing, is repairing itself with direction. So the, the 10 series of rolfing is based upon seven lines of fascia. The first seven sessions and the first six sessions that Saxon does is very different from mine, but on the same idea of what lines are there, how do we organize them and open them? And then eight through 10, how do we coordinate these? Essentially, how do we turn on the lights? Now that the building is built, how do I put on the electricity? Flip that switch, make it coordinate. Another way of looking at rolfing is just understanding that our body is kind of stacking. It's not all perpendicular pieces. There are horizontal places. Our ankles, our knees, our hips, our diaphragm, our elbows, wrist, collarbones, our jaw, our eyes are all horizontal places. 
And if you look at like a building, like let's say a parking lot, let's say it's four stories. That's four floors. We have 12 in our body, 12 diaphragms, 12 things are, that are expanding and contracting. So how do I organize 12 things just as much as a, a building of a parking lot that has four pieces to it? How do I organize that? Some people say that rolfing hurts. Back then it did. Absolutely. The science wasn't huge, but we knew that something was working. And Ida Rolf was a pioneer way, be way before her time of understanding that there is a fascial system and that it is responsive to people in a room. It's responsive to weight. It's responsive to space. So how do we study that? So Ida Rolf took 40 years to develop the 10 series of Rolfing, and it actually became a teaching tool for how to teach people how to Rolf, and then it became protocol. It was also the first body work to actually have a protocol to give people better posture. What? So why haven't you heard of it? As a board member of the Rolf Institute, I asked myself this question every single week. So I took it upon myself to put it on TikTok when during the pandemic of Rolf TikTok to explain more to the general public of what the heck Rolfers do. So sometimes I hear a lot of with massage therapists of, I heard of Rolfing when I was in massage school, but I wish I would have gone to Rolfing school because that's actually what I want to do is align people. And I said, well, what does it feel like you're doing now? Not that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Go over here where you align people with their fascia. And it is built on a 10, 10 session system so that your client can also find space for themselves, have educational tools and movement tasks that they go, oh, maybe it's not, my quad doesn't need to be engaged with me walking. My psoas does that, but I don't know how to uncouple my quad for my psoas. So I teach them how do you do that? And then I put it back together. Or sometimes I'll vice versa. I'll put it back and then I'll teach them. Compare and contrast is the only thing we have. How are you doing this now? After we did that, how are you doing it now? Oh. So really, Rolfing is a form of education and body work. Not only for you, but also for me, too, on how to work with your system in a short span. How does the shoulder girdle and the pelvic girdle look? Versus looking at a whole person, it's like, that's a whole project. Where do I start? Oh, dear goodness. We're going to start with the front line. Then we're going to start with the back line. Then we're going to start with the sides. Oh, now I have a 3D structure. So once you see the 10 series and go through it, you're like, oh, this makes sense. I'm not going to lie. I cried in school on session five because I was like, I get it. That's why this is in order. And I remember like my teacher came up to me after class and she's like, are you okay? I was like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> because it really is stunning how much time Ida Rolf took to put the series together to even teach people. And that was brilliant. Can you imagine developing something for 40 years? Yeah, the dedication yeah. is amazing. The dedication. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we didn't have the science about fascia that we have now. We've only had International Fascia Research Congress for, what, eight eight years, something like that. I mean, she had she had nothing to go on. She was, she was just really, like, trying to do her best with what she had. And we have so much more information now. It's really incredible what she, what she did and where she got in her lifespan. It's just, wow, mind-blowing. Yeah, she was a biochemist. 
and then people kept throwing stuff away. So she's like, "Hey, Me what too. are you guys throwing away? <laughs> yeah, what are you what are you doing in this yeah. bucket? Can I can I study it?" So that's really what kicked her off. And the fact that she was even had her own space in Rockefeller like a long, long time ago as a woman during World War II, I believe, that's insane for her to even be ahead of her time to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that Rolfing is, and there's a lot of things that Rolfing isn't. And one of them is it's not massage. It's not PT. And it's not a form of chiropractic, but I hear all of these things all the time. It's an active form of massage and PT. I even posted about it the other day because that's what an experience is, is you have an experience of a couple of things and you mash them in a box to make sense. So it's not those things, but it sure as shit looks like it sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse my language, but it really does. How do I, how do I participate on a table? Hey, can you bend while I'm on your shoulder? Can you bend your elbow in and out? And then after you do that, just to let me know when things are getting a little easier in your diaphragm. Oh, right there. And then once you do that, do you want to stretch through your finger? Do you want to press to the table based upon extension and flexion? Because we get trapped in our extensors and our flexors. So on the table, I'm giving my client movement cues the entire time so they can remap their body. Because if I ask a question, do you want to go, do you want to push or reach? Pushing is a whole lot more different than reaching. Go ahead and try pushing on your thigh versus reaching into your thigh. Very different things of the sensation. Mm -hmm. And how we do that in our brain is our tonic system. And it's not controllable by our own brain, but you can participate with it. So even teaching someone to participate with themselves, that's the hill I climb every day. Teaching people how to live in their bodies. after. And yeah, go ahead. I think that people that are extraordinary riders that just melt into their horses um, and uh, other athletes who are just, they're so in their body. There's some of these things that they do kind of innately that re- really rolfing can, can help you with. Like you make you, you have to be that body aware and not aware of the minutia if you want to really make a horse dance. <laughs> you know absolutely otherwise we're just and being aware and being aware that something else is touching you Hmm. even the fact of that the clothes that you're wearing right now notice how they touch you Hmm. and how do you participate with touching it back the 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 chair that you're sitting in can you let the chair touch your butt instead of you just touching can you touch back or can be touched back because duality is what we're looking for this is posture up down everything has to do this. Even if you press on the gas pedal, something has to go down into the pavement and then forward. Duality. Has to. It's everywhere. Yet we don't know how to participate in it. Even when I was in Rolfing School, I was like, I used to teach yoga and um, I don't know what we're doing, but this feels great. And I don't know how to explain why it feels great yet. But now I do. Sensing weight, sensing space, putting it together and slowing down and then you get you create length never would have thought of that in my yoga teacher training of I have my 500 hour I've taught for at least eight years never heard that stuff absolutely never heard that or even the consideration of can the chair touch me back can the saddle touch me back can I feel my horse breathing underneath my thighs 
And if I can, how do I participate in that with my with the reins in my hands? That's a lot to consider. I understand. Yeah. So you take small little bite pieces. And that's what Saxon and I do is give people little bite sizes and go, hey, have you considered this? I see this. Want to try this? That's the, that's the biggest thing I think I do all day is ask open-ended questions. I see what happens if. Because that's all you can do for people is provide information by seeing them and then giving them information based upon what you see. And when you see people in a room, they feel seen, which is being touched. The definition of touch is ridiculously <laughs> Yeah, and then I'm coming to the horses and I don't have this common language with them. But the horses mm-hmm. are so... They're like a theory, like all of us are horse people. We know they have this like sense of themselves. They have this sense of where they belong in the world. They have this sense of like this self-awareness, this really intense self-awareness. But uh, like Paige was talking about, we, we put halters on them. We put riders on them. We put tack on them. We put shoes on their feet. We put them in stalls. We do all these things that kind of mess with this connection that they have with themselves as a species. So when I bring this really specific touch, so my and my approach to the series is a little bit less focused on the lines and a little bit more focused on how do I take the outside of this horse and blend it with the inside. So I'm starting with taking the skin off. I'm taking the muscles of the legs off. I'm taking the ribs off. And when I say taking off, I'm saying that I'm I'm giving them their glide back. I'm using my fingers to restore that space around the joint components. I'm restoring space in between the muscle units so they can slide against each other. I'm saying, hey, remember that you can breathe with your whole rib cage because the horses know. They don't need me to tell them how to access their diaphragm, but I think that they forget because we get in the way. So my approach, I where Kayla Ann has her three opening sessions and then her four um, deep sessions, and then her three integrative sessions. I'm coming at the horses, and each time I come to them, I'm doing a little bit of opening. I'm doing a little bit of this deep work, and then I'm doing a little bit of integration. So I'm saying, what what's going on? What are you holding today? What do you feel like you're ready to let go of? And then how can we put this back together and give you an experience to go and go have a have a have a conversation with gravity and see what lands with you. And I'll see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, I, you know, the humans, we, again, we really get in the way of our horses and innate ability to be horses. They don't, <laughs> a lot of what I do is owner education. If you've been through a series, if your horses have been through a series with me, you know that I kind of ask you to like, let's not ride for a while. Like, let's, let's start listening to our horse. Like, let's tune into Let's do some limb stretches. Let's think about where these horses' limbs can go. What's comfortable for them? What feels safe to them? How safe do they feel with you? How do they feel with you in the cross ties? What about if we go to the ring? Maybe we have some saddle trauma. Maybe we have lunging trauma. Maybe there's specific situations we need to address. But it's really so important for people to be involved and for us to be addressing tax it and diet and lifestyle changes 
having a lot of hard conversations about this horse cannot stand in a stall because it's affecting the way they're digesting. It's affecting the way that their hooves are growing. It's affecting the way that their brain is being able to work. They're not getting that species appropriate care that they need. So we're going to have to change some things if you really want to be able for them to flourish in your written work, which is difficult. But it's one of the reasons I love working with Kayla Ann because I think a lot of people, especially in the competition world, sort of expect me to come and be like the horse mechanic and bloop, bloop, bloop and fix it all. And the horse is good to go and the and the meter 50 or whatever they want to do. They go do their Grand Prix dressage test and everything. But it really doesn't work that way. It really has to be it really has to be a partnership. It really has to be the horses really have to be able to be themselves. So I love working with Kayla and that. Kayla Ann can come and I'm working on a horse and a person is like, okay, I understand this in theory. You know, I know myofascial release. You don't want to just come and, and undo their stiffness in the pole. You're not just undoing the stiffness in the pole or in the hip joint. They, they can conceptually understand that I want to reunite a whole body, but they don't because they're so out of touch with themselves and they don't have that innate understanding and that innate way to go into themselves the way the horses do and they're sort of like, sure, sure, like, when is he going to be ready to ride? But then Kayla Ann comes into the barn with her table and puts them on a table and is just, you know, five minutes of work with a foot, and they're like, oh. No. <laughs> like, I will wow. say with, um, with humans, too, I have to tell my clients to really chill out. Uh, I can. I have a story right now, this woman's back and neck are an absolute mess she had an accident when she was 14 and she had a session on monday she emails me today and she's like why am i getting more stiff and i was like i looked at the rest of her email and she's like i'm going to pilates i'm going to yoga i'm doing all this stuff and i was like do you remember our conversation like to do nothing really except walk for four days and she's like oh i don't remember that i was like you're doing a lot you added rolfing and didn't subtract any of these things that might be misconstruing your idea of how to move. And she emails me back. She's like, you're right. I am doing too much. I'll see you next week. And I was like, cool. That is a rider. <laughs> so, yeah. To do too much. It's a huge rider. It's yeah. huge. And like, I have triathletes that want to get back to their stuff. And I'm like, you know, you're out of season. Just take it easy. Your stride is going to be different. Try shortening your mileage. And then, you know, three, four weeks after doing that, they're like, okay, I listened and I do feel better. I'm like, great. Integration is a process. You've never it done this before. And it yeah. takes about four to six weeks. Shoot, when I go to a class or At when least. we get back from, yeah. Yeah, when we, when we all least, get back yeah. from vacation, it takes about how many weeks to get to get back from vacation? About two to three weeks. Yeah. Maybe four. But we're completely reorganizing the way that this organism, whether it's a horse or a human, is relating to gravity. And that is, especially when you have a horse with a lot of ridden trauma, a lot, like they're very strong. It's like, so many people come to me again with this like performance enhancing mindset where they're like, I really want you to work, do the series with my Grand Prix dressage horse. We're going to start. We've done our flying changes. We're doing our tempi changes and we're going to move up this year. And I'm like, whoa, I am going to mess with all of that. You're going to have to go back to second level. You're going to have to go back to how do I do a, a trot transition? How do I get into the canner in the first place? How do I 
do my leg yields. You're going to have to take so many steps back and you are not going to achieve your show goals this season. So I'm probably not the right practitioner for you right now. And people are just sort of like, it's like they don't, they don't recognize that there's a different way. It's a hard, it's a hard thing for a lot of people who follow. And I think that something, something we talked about last time was that people have to be ready. There's an element of, and with the horses too, um, they have to participate in the work. This is not something that we can do to a person or to a horse. This is a collaborative conversation. This is a collaborative teaching experience where we are saying, hey, where is your body right now in this moment? Okay, cool. Let me give you some touch information and then let's go for a walk and see what your nervous system says about it. It really has to be a, it has to be a collaboration. I have a question just to kind of clarify my understanding of something. So this fascia of which you speak, <laughs> as I understand it, is actually one envelops our muscles like a net or a spider web. Is that fair to say? Around our muscles and is one so I think head to foot or connected from head to foot. So the analogy that Kayla Ann and I like to use, we like to bring oranges to peel when we do clinics and workshops. So if you think about the orange, there's the skin, there's the fuzzy stuff inside of the skin, there's those little that little film that's encasing all of the slices of your orange. There's that little tube in the middle of the orange that, and they're all different textures, right? They all are connected, but they all have kind of different textures and purpose. And then if you take one of the orange slices and you break it up, you've got all these little juice pockets, right? And if you think about if you took any one of those pieces of the orange, if you took the little juice pockets out of your little slice, you just have a little slice of goo, right? There wouldn't be a lot of substance to it. If you took out the the hard bit on the top where the stem connects, then that orange would have never been able to be connected to the tree and receive the nourishment in the first place to become an orange. It would have never been a blossom in the first place because it just would have blown off in the wind. So I like to use that. Like, yes, fascia is pervasive through our whole bodies. And yes, it encases our muscles, but it it has so many different textures, so many different roles, so many different forms that it can take in our body that it's different purposes that it serves is that an answer is that an is that a better way to conceptualize that page? I, that's what i'm fishing for to make sure that people go home with some sort of concept and that mine gets shaped too um, we really like the orange analogy that's been the most helpful for us yeah. don't you think kayla ann absolutely it is even in rolfing school the first thing that we do to explain fascia is bring out oranges and then yep, we that's bring what we out did in, in my EFIT certification. Yep, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> the next one was how to talk about touch. And so we'd bring out cornstarch and water. And if you've ever played with cornstarch and water, if you put your hand really fast in cornstarch and water, you get stuck. And if you go really slow, your hand just slides in like silk. So essentially, the softer you are with your hands, not hurting people through a rolfing tent series, the better outcome you will get. Yeah, the the cornstarch water sort of texture is very much a lot of, uh, I know Kayla Ann um, uses a lot more sort of verbal input, like can you, she wants to cue movement, she wants to cue like, again, like with the reaching or like with the, with the touching and the feeling, I'm doing a lot more spreading with my hands because the horses have that innate understanding of kind of like where their bodies are in space. So it really is like if you imagine spreading that, that cornstarch slurry, that's really what it feels like. <laughs> it's a very apt analogy. 
And so I feel like I'm spreading peanut butter all day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's like peanut butter. It is. It's um, yeah. <laughs> Paige, you were gonna say something. Yeah, I have yeah. more questions about fascia. So yay. <laughs> um, my understanding, please correct me where I'm wrong, is that we store so. It, why this matters is that as we get injured, these injuries are stored in the fascia and in how they're attaching. And instead of being nice and organized pre-trauma, they end up kind of gnarled in spots. And that some of what you do is undoing those gnarly. Is that a so talking about the chemical makeup of so former biochemist here? Hi. <laughs> so talking about the chemical makeup of fascia. So we know that. Muscles contract and they relax and they help us to move our skeletons. But the fascia has its collagen. It's more rigid. It doesn't have its own way to contract and expand. So it really it connects us and it protects us. So the fascia is, is piezoelectric is the scientific word where the collagen is laid down where there's a lot of force being transmitted. So if you think about the analogy I like to use, is like you think of that guy at the gym, he's just doing bicep curls all day long. He's doing bicep curls. And those bicep muscles, they're getting a lot of this. And so his body is going to say, whoa, whoa, we got a lot of stuff going on. We really need to lay some collagen down here to make sure these fibers don't tear. We really need to protect this area. There's a lot of friction between those muscle groups. We need to make sure that this is stabilized. But eventually, that glide starts going away because that collagen can't stretch and expand on its own. And that's where you get these guys with these big bulgy muscles and there's the big dent in between and you can see the muscle definition and whatever. It's, it's not functional, right? They walk around kind of like the Michelin man and they don't have a lot of – they're not beautiful. They're not graceful. And we've seen horses like this too. If you watch any five-star event these days or any dressage test, they're all – Oh, they're all up and they're all holding themselves, but there's not a there's not that beautiful connection through there's not a lot of flow through the spine. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of like underrun heels, there's a lot of concussive forces, there's a lot of special shoes to protect their feet because the way that the forces are being transmitted through their bodies is really not optimal. So that's that's where fascia gets us in trouble and that's where the the trauma aspect comes in is, you know, if we have if we have a horse that pulls back against their halter and there's damage to that area then the body's going to say hey this is weak we need to put a lot of collagen down here we need to make sure that this is supported and then you get scar tissue and then you get that those issues where things are not sliding and gliding so what Kayla Ann and I do is we again with the cornstarch analogy where we've got big gloms of cornstarch we use this touch to spread it and we say hey like this collagen can be somewhere else. Like we need this glide and glide back. Like you did your job for a while and you protected the system, but now everything's healed and we can go back to a better way of moving. Mm -hmm. Solid. I have one. <laughs> I keep asking questions. I love yeah, your biochemistry brain. Yes, <laughs> this is why I do what I do. I'm just like either off. Like it just. It makes sense to me, you know, it's like we have, you know, and, and, and fascia is so important for hormone signaling. It's so important for our nerve endings. There's so many nerves, so many more nerve endings in fascia 
than there are in our muscle tissue or even in our in our skin tissues. I mean, everything that we're feeling is those sub those subcutaneous fascia where all of those really sensitive nerve endings are. It's fascia. It's it's <laughs> it really is the organ. It is the organ. Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on a few things that I want to highlight, and that is things that we may not realize have been normalized in our industry, um, particularly if um, we're entering it from non-horsey families and looking around for working examples where horses are earning a living and you can partake in the sport. It's not always a reflection of something that is, and I want to normalize this phrase, species appropriate. Yes. Um, and you mentioned a couple times Saxon. You know, the forces that we put on horses when we put a saddle on them and when we shoe them and when we put them in box stalls, and you you whip past that, but everybody puts shoes on horses and puts them in box stalls and puts saddles on them. What do you mean that's causing them? Isn't that... And I think we don't stop to realize that wearing a saddle of most types and and it's not the, the saddle episode comes another time, but yeah. girthing them up, cinching them up and asking them to do what we do with their bodies with shoes that may be necessary or not. And that's not really the debate either. No, no, right. We're under. But it changes the way that hoof lands and it it doesn't allow it to slide anymore and expand the way it's designed to. And so that has repercussions up its body, no matter how good we're chewing them. So I wanted to kind of slow down and highlight some of the things that we just see as normal and we don't take into account that they are affecting that horse's body and um, its psyche and what is normal for a horse so i want to just encourage listeners um to educate themselves on what horses need and there are a few ways to do that um and i'm going to plug myself and say that i have one <laughs> we can in it we yeah. tell why horses think the way they do and what they need and so i was so happy to hear you say saxon that you educate your owners i think probably to your own detriment in a way it's almost like okay you're not going to want to hire me because I'm going to tell you stuff you don't want to hear. <laughs> well, my goal, my goal is always that people don't need me. I don't want you to see your chiropractor every six weeks. I don't want your horses getting their hawks injected every six months. I don't want, I don't want to see your horse. I love you all. I want to get all of the photo updates. I want to see videos of your dressage test. I want to see everything you're doing, but I do not want to see you any more than a couple of times a year unless we have a really specific goal in mind or your horse has really specific needs. My goal is always to educate you, to educate your horse through the six series and to send you off into the world as independent people with no understanding of species appropriate care, how to look, how to, how to support your horse in their daily life, how to make good choices for their nutrition, for their lifestyle, for their tack. How to identify who is who are the good vets in town that are interested in this kind of functional anatomy and what farriers do I need to stay away from? I want you to be able to recognize those red flags and those green flags and be able to make better decisions. My goal, I, I am a scientist first and foremost, 
and science education is so inaccessible in this world. There's so many varying opinions, and it's something we talk about through the Osteology Center, that people go to social media and just ask questions in Facebook groups because they don't know what is what is verifiable. And Paige, I think it's really wonderful that you've had Kayla, Ann, and I here because we both take our certifications and our qualifications very seriously. We are both constantly continuing to learn. We have both achieved the highest level of education that is available to us, the highest level of certification that is available to us, and we will continue to push those boundaries. I'm having conversations with the National Board of Certification for annual acupressure and massage all the time because I don't think that their requirements are rigorous enough. I had to pass a multiple choice test for my board certification, and I don't think that's enough. I want practical exams. I want to have to submit case studies. I want someone to be reviewing what I'm talking about. And I know Kayla and the Roth Institute was really intense. And I know you're in your advanced training right now. So it's something, and I love Paige, that you are really dedicated to making sure that you're giving a platform to people that know what the hell they're talking about. Because there are a lot of people out there that don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I also see, sorry, just to someone put in the chat, um, that they want some clarification about the difference between rolfing and cranial sacral therapy. So I'll give the, the horse version. So in cranial sacral therapy, we're looking at the flow of cerebral spinal fluid through the spinal canal. So we want to align. There's these, these foramen in the vertebra that allow all of this cerebral spinal fluid to flow through. So cranial sacral therapy is really focused on that, specifically on that flow through the spine. What I do as a structural integrator for horses is our bodies naturally organize in these myofascial meridians where forces are transferred. Uh, you know, we have limb lines, we have the dorsal line, we have the ventral line, and I'm looking at these individual chains of uh, myofascial units, and I want to reorganize them. So I'm not just looking at the way the spine is, I'm looking at how does the leg come out of the shoulder? How does the hoof touch the ground? How are the hooves landing and sending forces up the limb? How is that limb sending forces through the trunk, through the neck, through the tail, through the head? So it's a little bit more craniosacral. I work with craniosacral therapists. We have several of them at the Osteology Center, and they're wonderful. This is just a little bit of a different approach. So I hope that answers your question. And if you have any other qualifications or any other questions and feel free to put them in the chat i just wanted to address that yeah. before yeah and we are going to do know. um at the end we'll give you a chance for a live qa as well um oh okay perfect perfect so we'll have a chance okay, to okay. Get a lot of questions <laughs> i have a few more things i want to tease out and you guys are going to have some things that you want to definitely bring to the conversation my goal was to have a good hour of us chatting and then open the floor okay Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt the flow, no, but I just saw that question. And, and it was kind of, we were talking about methods, and I just wanted to make sure that, that everybody gets a chance to have their voice heard. Yeah, no, that totally worked. I'm not good at multitasking, so I hadn't looked. I know. There was a question <laughs> I'm a little, there. Um, I'm a little bit, like, too, too spread thin, so. <laughs> and I had a lot of caffeine today. I've been going all day, so thank Yay. you for bearing with me. <laughs> no, this has been fantastic. Um. So in um, my experience, when I went through the 10, when, when you talk about reorganizing and stuff like that, it can be kind of hard to conceptualize and sound a little bit woo-woo or like you'd be hard to identify with. So 
in in my experience they started from the core down and then it's the core up and you've got the pattern you keep kind of repeating so that the core is covered most often and then the extremities are is that the pattern it, I remember working? it's a lot of extremities so the legs feed the spine because your spine sits on top of your legs and a lot of people's legs are disorganized so there's at least four to five sessions on how do we just differentiate the legs from the pelvis, the legs from the spine, the legs from the rib cage, the legs from the arms. Mm. There's a lot of leg stuff because that sacrum sits in between two ilias. I will say Tom Myers was brilliant in adding two sessions onto his series with the arm session because Ida Rolf's first series did not have a lot of arm stuff in there. And I don't think she would roll around in her grave going, no, no more arm sessions. In this day and age, we actually do need more arm sessions. Text, text, computer, computer, drive, drive, drive. So when I look at the series, there's, it's, I'd say there's at least four or five, sometimes six sessions of just the lower body and then the core. But also to understand how our system works, if you stand on one leg, that that whole side that you're that you chose to stand on is one cylinder. And your foot reacts to your face, whether you like it or not. And if you go on to the other side, that's another cylinder. How does the right cylinder and the left cylinder work together? And how do they rotate around each other? So I'm looking at all sorts of things. How does your foot look like when it's on the ground? Does it look like it goes into the carpet? Or does it look like your toes are kind of off of the ground? Does it look like your knees are pointing towards each other? Are they pointing away? Is one pointing in versus one pointing away? If you jump a little bit in your room, when you're jumping up and down, do you notice that your shoulders go in front of your pelvis? Or do they go back behind your pelvis? And if you jump and your your shoulder girdle is going before your pelvis, notice what that hip happens to your hips versus if your shoulders are behind your hips, what does your legs do? And these are the positions that people are stuck in all the time. So be, based upon what their cylinders are doing or their blocks, if you want to look at a block model too, there's all sorts of ways to look at how people are moving in the world. It's just a matter of how you want to look at it. But really we're organizing extremities into the core and if you get the extremities out of the way of the core the core expands because most of us have injured our shoulders our legs sometimes we've injured the center so it just really depends on what's going on but we have to get the extremities because there are four pieces off of the center and the center will then expand and lengthen and you just um an analogy of of um, the glass last time. Can you can you illustrate that again for the folks that didn't get a chance to hear that? Because that that that's a really helpful one, a really helpful image for me. I don't remember. Of the the size of the glass and then filling the glass. Oh, you don't remember? Oh, I put you on the spot. Do you know got you, got about? you. Okay. Yeah, that one that's so, so helpful for me. I love that one. Sure. Let's see. What do I have? I have a can. I have a soda can next to me. So, <laughs> session one is how do we just make the front of the can? Session two is the back of the can. Session three is the sides. Now that we have something that's 3D, then how do I put on the bottom of that soda can or the bottom of a glass? Session five is how do I fill up the center of the glass and put in more liquid, make it voluminous? 
So a lot of people feel depleted in the center or crunched. They don't have enough space. So what happens if you get volume or width? Women don't like the word width. But in this case, anatomically, it works. Session six then is like, if I make the center of you voluminous, then can I make sure that your sacrum for cranial sacral therapy can go forward and backwards? And is it allowed to rotate on its axis? Session seven is, well, if I gave you a sacrum, where's your head? Cool. How does the head pop out of the glass and go, ooh, what's going on around in my world? It's also a part of your arms that get to happen in that session. And then eight, nine, and 10 is essentially going, cool, how do I use the glass? Now that I have a full glass, how do I use this? How do I coordinate using this? That what is that the glass analogy that I used last I time? I love it. that one. Is okay. So help. I love every time you use that. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's exactly. That's exactly what my experience with the ten series was. Yes. And so I have to say, as a rider, I mean, you can strap yourself onto a horse and grab onto a horn and ride it around, I guess. But if you want to absorb the motion of something that's almost panther-like when they are really moving up through their bodies and you want to be able to maximize that grace. This stuff really does matter. How you carry yourself really matters. So if you have a series of injuries that change your pattern of movement a bit, oh, pshaw, I can carry on, you know, we limp through life and we're fine. It's going to change how you sit on your horse. And now that horse, especially if you're six foot one and 170 pounds ish, then um, how you sit on them when my speed axle was, um, she barely cracked 16 hands. She was tiny. Um, it really matters. So when I got this kind of ability to feel and be in my body and be straight and carry myself, that's when that little mare went okay and let me in. That was my way through with her. So it it matters. And what it might feel like if you're like, get used to how my body works again or whatever. Um, it, it sometimes looks like in appointments, a pattern of movement, like move that arm um, back and forth or up and down or walk. So he would have me walk and just um, often have a couple of points that he had connected in my body and working on my pattern of movement because my patterns of movement were so crooked. And if you walk crookedly all day and you stand crookedly, you're going to ride crookedly. And if you don't care about anything else, but you care about riding, then this really helps. Well, <laughs> somatically, like psychosomatically, we're always going to be dealing with a lot. Like the example of, let's just say, I've heard this analogy a lot and it sticks in my head. So I'm going to use that one. Um, if you say to somebody, wow, you have a nice butt you're going to get two reactions out of that. That person is either going to hide their butt or they're going to flaunt their butt. And those two movements of accentuating or getting rid of a pattern is a whole body pattern. Hmm. And sometimes getting out of that pattern is a lot. So not only are we really working with somebody and realigning their body, but also how are they living in it? And somebody asked, like, it, this sounds like Feldenkrais and being aware of how your body is moving. Absolutely. We just don't have it as many exercises as Feldenkrais does. It's more of a body work with movement. I know that sometimes Feldenkrais does that as well. It's just a lot more. Their theories 
and how they participate in a room with a client is different. But Moshe Feldenkrais and Ida Rolf were best friends back in the day, and they even wrote each other birthday letters. They just never worked on each other because they solely believed in their practice, and they didn't want each other's stuff working with what their working theories were. But they were friends. That's always interesting to me. Every time I read it, I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes sense. A little bit it makes sense. sense. Yeah. Um, I wonder if uh, I want to. I always wind this in with certain intersections, and I keep kind of coming back to trauma. And trauma can look like in the horse industry, maybe participating in um, methods that left both you or your horse traumatized. Or I mean, trauma can look like just about anything. And I am beginning to understand that it's stored in our body and it translates then in our ability to be expressive and move through our bodies on our horses. It's often, I hear, stored in the hips. So I wanted to hand a bit of a bucket over to Saxon and and let them run with it a bit. And they had um, an interesting, I think, journey to rolfing and through the world of horses and trauma. And I think that rolfing was something that made a big difference for you, wasn't it, Saxon? Yeah. So I was, you know, I was a child of divorced parents. I was very sad growing up. I was not a happy kid. Uh, I tried to, you know, when I was in high school, I I was very, uh, I grew up in Montessori. My mother's an educator, so education was always really important. I really pushed myself. I quit riding so I could go to school for biochemistry. I got a lot of opportunities as a teenager to work in, you know, these really fancy labs and neuroscience and all of these things. And I I finally got into a proper undergraduate program at a school that I really felt was like was going to resonate with my Montessori education. And I, I did, it was not, it was not at all. It was patriarchal. It was performative. It was it was centered around profit and capitalism. The research was not interesting. I was not being engaged in the level that I thought I was going to be. And I got really, really, really depressed. I dropped out. I medically withdrew. I went back to my hometown. I tried to work at a couple of other labs, but um, you know, I saw a psychiatrist. I was seeing all these therapists. I was on all of these medications. And I eventually was just like, this is not fucking working for me. Like, I cannot do this anymore. And I moved to Aiken. I dropped it all. I moved to, from East Tennessee to Aiken. I picked up my whole life. And I was like, okay, horses, horses don't make me feel this way. At least not to the degree that science and proper academia did. But then I started working with these, I groomed for Olympic level eventers. I was bit check, USDA bit check at all of these fancy show facilities here in Aiken. And it was so pervasive. The, the, even if they weren't like actively aggressive, the horses were just not happy and the people were not happy and they might've not been yelling and they might've not been bucking and rearing, but the grimaces and the, and the, the shame that I heard ringside from trainers about, oh, what a, what just, the self-talk even, it was just so pervasive. And some of the things I was asked to do as a groom were just so horrible. And so just, I don't even, I try not to think about those things. And I even being here in Aiken, I go into the tax stores and I see these horrible gag bits and I see these horrible contraptions that are being advert. It's just like so pervasive in the horse world. So I was restarting Thoroughbreds, um, still, you know, very sad, still sort of like 
recovering from not being on all these medications anymore and trying to like figure these things out. And I had this little thoroughbred. He had a huge scar in his pectoral muscles, probably from a gait injury. He was off the track. And I had Diane Zingle, who is a Blugen trained osteopath. So if you're familiar with chiropractic, osteopathy is a little bit more soft tissue focused. So rather than short, quick adjustments, they're more focused on organizing the fascia around joints to find more joint motility and more joint alignment that way. And I watched Diane work, and Diane's one of the um, the founders of the Osteology Center here in Aiken, and I was like, like, holy shit. Like, people do this. Like, people put their hands on horses. They're concerned about the horse's well-being. They're concerned about the way the horse's longevity. They're concerned about what the horse has to say. And it was it totally blew my mind, but I started doing research. I was like, I could do this. I could I like science. I could learn about anatomy. Like I could start doing this work. But I did research and there were so many weekend programs and to learn how to blah blah with your horse and only two hundred dollars like all of this like bullshit, fidgety, like flimsy, pseudoscientific garbage, I felt like. And it didn't resonate with the biochemist in me because I do love science. I didn't go to biochemistry just because I really loved it. It was just the the attitude of the atmosphere that turned me away. So I kept searching. I didn't know anything about structural integration. I didn't know anything about fascia, but I found the Equine Institute where I have my certification, my 400-hour structural integration certification, founded by a former field biologist and a veterinarian. These are my people. I mean, it was nutrition, hoof balance, tack fit. We had to talk about physiology. We learned about lameness evaluation. We learned first aid. We had to talk about musculoskeletal diseases we had a whole presentation about how to identify skin cancers i mean it was so in depth the curriculum was so in depth and part of the requirements was that i had to have the first three sessions of the rolf series which really are those core sessions that that those sides and the forming of the glass like the very basic introduction so i met i had moved to vermont at the time i kind of it was like Roe versus Wade got overturned and I was like the political landscape of the South was very traumatic to me as a queer person. I knew I needed to get out and I met a local Rolfer through some other horsey people who knew Rolfing and knew that I was in school and I needed case studies and I had the first three sessions and I was like cried. I mean I cried a lot. <laughs> like it really was. It was it was a lot of unwinding but it was like I decided after those three sessions, I decided that I wanted to go all the way through. It was a mutual friend of Kayla Ann and mine uh, who had actually just started her Rolf training as well. Her training as a structural integrator. So I got to be one of her very first series. Uh, it was my first series. It was really like a special, it was just really special and it was really hard. But it was like as I was going through these sessions and as I was revisiting these postures in my body, then I could feel my my intensive outpatient therapy programs like integrating into my body like I could finally take these tools that I learned in therapy and actually apply them into my life like I could break all of these patterns that I had and really like actually actually do things differently and actually change my thought patterns and change the way that I was viewing the world and it wasn't overnight but it was the more that I do this work and you know I've it's been about three years since I had my Rolf series and I have sessions with Kayla Ann periodically. I have sessions with Lisa Gray down here in Aiken. I'm always diving deeper. I'm always curious to know more. And the deeper that I dive, then the more me I feel. It's mm. really just like 
but traditional therapy and medication just really were not a solution for me. And I was really, really sad for a long time. And I still struggle with those things. And it's still, you know, some parts of trauma never really leave us. But with the body work, I have been able to be a much more complete person. And especially as a trans person, it's really helped me accept me as I am in the moment and be okay with the fact that I'm not a woman and I'm not a man and I'm kind of like an anomaly in society and nobody knows where to put me and I don't really fit in a box but that's okay because I know where my body is I know how I feel I can name my feelings I have tools to like oh I recognize my psoas pattern and I'm feeling anxious today so I'm gonna do my Rolf movement that Kayla Ann gave me and help break this pattern because I have the framework to recognize that and I have the framework to break myself of that. Whereas a cognitive behavioral therapist might just give me some dumbass worksheet and not really like get to the root of what I'm feeling, you know, like it would just be very surface level. But for me, the connection to my body made all the difference in all of my mental health struggles. Yeah. I don't know if your experience was the same way with with your series or Kayla Ann, I don't know if you, I mean, you've had a lot of work as well, Kayla Ann. I'm sure that you have your own stories to tell, but it was very powerful for me. Yeah. I used to have flat feet. Yeah. People said that I was going to have to wear inserts in my shoes for the rest of my life at the age of 15. And I didn't like that. So (laughs) I searched and searched and searched. I went to PT. I went to chiropractics. I did everything that I could possibly do. I was teaching a yoga class and I ran into a rolfer and um, I said, Hey, I think I'm thinking about going to massage school. If anybody wants adjustments in class, please raise your hands and I'll be happy to assist you. This woman comes up to me afterwards and she's like, your hands are too good to be a massage therapist. You should be a rolfer. And I said, what's that? And she's like, your feet are flat and your head's crooked. Do you want to fix it or live with it? And I was like, um, that's a statement. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing me in the room. Um, yes, please. I have been trying to fix it. And she's like, how's that working out for you? And I was like, it's not. <laughs> she's like, well, it looks like you're trying too hard. And I was like, I don't know how not to try. And she's like, what happens if you just participate in letting the ground feel you? And what does that do? And I was like, kind of gives me a lift. So immediately she was giving me resources. Immediately I felt seen. And then within the second session, which is the leg session, session two, I got off the table and I had arches in my feet for the first time in my whole life. Hmm. I stopped my my I stopped teaching yoga. I stopped doing my CPA stuff. And I was lucky that I lived in Colorado and the Institute was already in Boulder. I was really lucky. I was already in Colorado. So lucky. And I hear stories like this all the time. My hip was doing this and now it doesn't, or I got in a car accident and, Rolfing was the only thing that helped me. I went to PTs and chiropractics and everything else. And that's the story that I hear all the time. PTs, chiropractics, massage therapists, and now I'm here. Yeah, because those other practices, they're wonderful, but they don't cover everything. I can't cover everything either. So I'm not better than anybody else, but it's just a different form of thought. And when you get a different form of thought, you get different results. But there is something about the the whole body approach that is just so damn powerful <laughs> yeah. well even the word holism a lot of people don't even have that in their repertoire of their um their theme for what they're working on with their clients like a part of our principles in rolfing is holism that's the fifth principle mm-hmm. how do you participate in that with not only your clients but how do you participate in that in your own body when you're living in your rolfed body yeah what the heck is but holism? it's hard to 
it's hard to receive this work without there being an emotional component. I mean, it's just, I get, at least for me, like I, it was just like so integral to be feeling, not only feeling, but like feeling, like feeling what was happening on the table in those moments, in those sessions. And in the days after the sessions where I just like lay on the floor and sob and like let all of this out that had been in my postures, like, whoa. It's a big deal for people to find use in their bodies again and not feel pain because that's a lot of what we register is pain but we don't register what's feeling good so a lot of what we're teaching people is I understand this is painful now now that we've done a session what's that feel like and really walking through with people for five minutes of what they're feeling is one of the most important things after a session because they get to validate what they're feeling which then lands differently versus okay thank you now you get to pay me and leave no, I, I walk through with them of like, hey, what do you notice? Because otherwise, like most people, they would just pay me, leave, and not really think about what the heck happened in that session and what did I go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a really big deal to recognize what you went through. And when people say, I know that you're in my foot, but I feel that in my neck. Hashtag Rolfing. <laughs> Working with... <laughs> Like, which is, um, seriously, <laughs> really though, which is, are you working locally or are you working globally? And when you're working globally, you're working with fascia. If you're working locally, you're working with muscle and bone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big deal. I'd like Big to circle deal. around again to, um, the emotional aspect to it and sort of what yeah. that might be like. Um, I had been kind of warned by, um Greg my guru Rolfer um and uh, I believe he went to the school of structural integration and there's some different but it's essentially yeah. the same work yeah yeah um and uh he he did explain that there would be an emotional component to it and I wasn't kind of ready for that at all I was showing up I was the athlete showing up to have someone fix my body and my horse yeah, I didn't know what I was in for. <laughs> and they yeah. used to kind of look in the barn and be like, he doesn't know about the woo that's coming. And yeah. he said, well, there will be a session. And he said, I won't say which number that is, because he didn't want me to anticipate it, <laughs> where there are quite likely some tears to come. And don't worry, that's why the Kleenex box is here and you're in a safe space <laughs> and you can let them come. And, um, and sure enough, the floodgates opened because trauma is stored in the body and when it's released with this work it comes out so there is an emotional aspect to it and in that moment I knew on the table that I could not go forward living the way that I was living it was completely out of integrity with myself and I just didn't value myself enough. And I stepped out of the car and looked into someone's eyes at the end of that day and they looked at me and they knew it was over. They knew. Wow. A little time because it was a ridiculously complicated situation. Oh my but gosh. It changed then. And there was one look and they went, and they knew it was over because I couldn't continue to live that way. Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. 
so, so you know it's not light work but if anybody wants to get these two up here for a clinic and then <laughs> what to do in between there's always that yeah and yeah i'll have um give each of you a chance to to say something else if there's something that you really want to say before we hand over the floor to people to ask questions which i'd like to do shortly um, yeah. So maybe Saxon, do you have anything you like dying to add on to before we hand over the floor to questions? Something that I like to tell people when they're working with horses that have had this work or they're interested in getting the work themselves is like, you need to be ready. That shit's going to be different. <laughs> and anybody that is listening, then you are going to have to be prepared to change the way to change the way that you're doing things to change the way that you're approaching your body, that you're thinking about yourself, that you're thinking about your horse, that you're training your chain. You're going to have to talk to your farrier that they're not going to be able to trim the hooves the same way that they always have. You're going to have to talk to your vet. You're going to have to talk to your saddle fitter. You're going to have to get a new saddle. I mean, their back's going to change. You might need new shoes. I can't wear the same shoes I used to. I used to wear, like Kayla and I had really high arches. I always wore those super feet insoles. I can't wear my work boots anymore. They kill my back. I have to wear my barefoot shoes. Like I've just completely gotten rid of all of my shoes. Yeah, <laughs> and even you might my sound like away. you're a real pain in the ass. <laughs> Never mind. We can't have them. We up here. Forget about too, it. But that's too much. But change. it's like, but <laughs> it's like once you once you get here and once you see what's possible, then you will never go back. I never want to go back to my my big old. Uh, my big old inserts in my shoes. I never want to go back to wearing all those tight clothes and the, all the, I just like, I, I love the space in my body. I love being able to move. I love that I glide. Um, it's just, I, I will never go back. And it's, it's like, once you know what, what alignment feels like, then once, like, I don't, I catch myself slouching all the time. I catch, like, I'm like, I don't like this. I need Kayla in. Like, Kayla in will tell you. Like, I, I call her. I'm like, I need you. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really powerful stuff, and it sticks, and it it works. Yeah, mine it really works. until I got bucked off a horse that somebody sent me with a non-disclosed bucking issue. So i got to say, as uh, people out there, if you've got a horse that bucks and you send it to someone, disclose, because it undid all of that work, and I and I would love Better yet. I got to start undoing Get. some damage. I know what it feels like to feel aligned now. I want that. Back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's like, it's like you crave it. You know, you crave that ease. The ease is just so comfortable. It feels so right in your body to be, <laughs> for it to be easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a big change. So I say anybody that's here on this call or whoever's listening and you, I know these are podcast episodes too. So anybody that's listening to the recording or anybody that's been on our website or has been in a session with us, then it's going to be different. <laughs> Just hang on and trust us because we've been there. There's a reason we do this work and we are here for you. And there is never judgment at all. We just want to help you. Yep. I th- I remember when I first bought my first pair of like expensive shoes and I was in the middle of my Rolfing 10 series. And these shoes were like four hundred dollars, and I like saved up for a while. I had to reshoe. I had to resole these shoes because they didn't fit anymore because my foot grew. Yeah. And the biggest thing I'll close with is, what do you think your body is capable of when it moves better? 
What do you think you're capable of this time if it moves better? What would you do with your body if it moved better? And that is what keeps me coming back to every single rolling session I've been in. I had a snowboarding accident that I thought my back was A over T pedal. I was, whoo, I underestimated that, that powder, I tell you what. And I really thought my career was going to be done with rolling. And I got out of that rolling session walking up again. And I didn't know I was capable of doing that again. I didn't know I was capable of snowboarding again. I didn't know I was capable of a lot of things that I do nowadays because of it. The big question is, what do you want to be capable of? And do you think you're capable and ready now? Then you're ready for rolling. You're ready to be structurally integrated. Some people are not ready yet and they know it. They're not completely all there. And if that's you, hang on. You'll get there. I've had so many clients say to me, I wasn't ready last year. Now I'm ready. What tells me, what do what, what tells you that you're ready for it? And then they go to this whole spiel and I'm like, yes. All right. Nice to meet you. My name is so-and-so. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my closing piece. Thank you. Hey, you're still here. Thanks so much for listening. What you think and feel matters. If this resonated with you, please like and share. It truly makes a difference. I encourage you to engage with the content on my Substack account and my socials, all at The Magic of Horsecraft, where you can join the discussion and shape the future shows. Tell me what you want to hear more of or less of, and we'll evolve together as we grow a community of like-minded souls here for the good of the horse. If you're an adult amateur horse lover looking for confidence and clarity in your role of equine steward, check out my course from Muggle to Magician, Making Magic with Horses, at themagicofhorsecraft.com. Until then, I'm here to remind you of a couple things. One, underneath it all, we all want the same things, to be heard, understood, and accepted for who we are. And two, anything is possible. Take a chance.